The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Next Generation episode, Ship in a Bottle. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. It's different than Message in a Bottle? Oh, wait, that's a a sting song. That's a police song. (laughs) Or Ship of Fools, which my mind kept wanting to say. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Don. Uh, Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and leave us comments wherever you'll find us. We love to hear from you. Uh, I want to tell you about another StarQuest show you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Middle-Earth. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth. So this is Ship of Fools, a six-season episode. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? This week, Data and Geordi are playing Sherlock Holmes when they notice the holodeck is malfunctioning. They shut it down and summon Lieutenant Barkley to fix it. As he's doing so, Barkley activates the Moriarty program, a sentient program originally created four years ago to outthink Data and who wants to leave the holodeck. Moriarty is angry and thinks that Captain Picard has not done anything to get him off the holodeck in the last four years. So Barkley arranges a meeting on the holodeck between himself, Moriarty, Captain Picard, and Data. Picard insists that there is no way for Moriarty to leave the holodeck, but Moriarty is not convinced, given his difference from other holodeck creations. In an amazing display of mind over matter, he simply walks off the holodeck. He forswears his criminal past and just wants to explore the universe, but he wants a companion and creates a suitable, equally intelligent, equally self-aware consort for himself, Countess Regina Bartholomew. He insists that Picard find a way to get her off the holodeck, as he's unwilling to take the risk of letting her just walk off. To give Picard a deadline, he takes control of the ship, which is dangerously near a new star that's about to form from two gas giants. The gang gets uh, the idea of using the pattern enhancers to try to beam an object off the holodeck, but their first attempt doesn't work. Then, Data deduces that Moriarty is tricking them. Unbeknownst to them, they are still on the holodeck and out of communication with the rest of the crew. And in an attempt to get control of the fictional ship back, Picard gave his command codes to the computer. Moriarty now uses these to seize control of the real Enterprise and keep it dangerously near the new star. Picard comes to the Countess and gives her a technobabble explanation of how they've learned that it is possible to beam someone off the holodeck by teching the tech. Moriarty learns this from her and calls the real Riker and tells him to implement the plan. After they've beamed off the holodeck, he demands a shuttle so that he and the Countess can explore the universe. Once they're on their way, he releases control of the Enterprise. Then Picard shuts down the program, and it's revealed that Picard turned Moriarty's own plan back on him by doing his own holodeck within a holodeck routine. He's now trapped Moriarty in a simulation with enough memory to let him and the Countess live out their lives thinking they're exploring the universe. In a briefing to the crew afterwards, Picard gives us a meta ending by saying, who knows? 
all of this could just be a simulation running on a device on someone's table. Mm -hmm. At which point Barclay, after being left alone, gives us a double meta ending by saying, computer, end program. (laughs) At which point we see the birth of the new star and the program ends. The end. Wow, we have like layers on layers. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> so I, was, what, I was thinking virtual machine in a virtual machine. If you've done computer work, you know what that, <laughs> that's all about. <laughs> yep. So uh, one of the things I was remarking about was this: the difference between – we've been doing a lot of first season TNG, and we did some mm-hmm. third season stuff too. But the contrast between first season and sixth season, just oh boy. especially in the characters, like mm-hmm. it's, and especially Picard and Data – this Picard is so much less shouty, so, you, know, yeah. you know, and Data is so much more subtle. And it's it the 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 actors have really refined these characters and the writers, frankly, too, mm-hmm. to to be the ones that we remember and recall. Also, the guest characters are way better than yeah. guest characters in the early seasons. Um, Moriarty and Countess Bartholomew are both really well-written characters. Yes. And they're very attractive characters. They're very compelling. And the actors mm-hmm. playing them give great performances. Yes, Absolutely. they do. Well, and, and even some of the effects. Now, we don't see a lot of it in this one, but even, you know, the effects, the costuming, the sets, you know, they, they improved a lot in the five years. I mean, the, the uniforms yes. look so much better and everything, you know. Right. The whole, every, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun kind of jumping from one era of the show to another to see how things have improved more so than many other shows. I'm thinking like Stargate or DS9 mm-hmm. or like a lot of other shows that have had this long span do not show that much improvement. I mean, they always show some improvement, but this is a very big contrast, right? At least to Which- me. Which only goes to underscore how sucky the original two series of the <laughs> yeah. show were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the first two seasons, yeah. So uh, this is, as we've said, is a sequel to the season two uh, episode, Elementary Dear Data. Um, and the reason we're doing it now is because Star Trek Picard, season three, which starts next week, as you're listening to this perhaps, uh, is going to include Moriarty in some way, the character. So uh, we're we're discussing that character, but it it's a sequel to that season, and they had apparently had wanted to do more Sherlock Holmes stories featuring Data, but they had a licensing dispute with the Arthur Conan Doyle estate. Yeah, blah blah blah. They wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't now because as of this year, yeah, all of the Sherlock Holmes stories are public domain. Have at oh, it. Oh wow, <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. they weren't actually. Uh, are they? <laughs> All public domain now? They all are. Yes. Okay. Every one of them. That was the thing. Now, of course, this was made back in, you know, around 1990, and that was 30-something years ago. And so so they weren't all out of public domain then, but they progressively started to enter public domain, and as of this year, they now all are public domain. Interesting. By by the way, speaking of, of when this was aired, as we're recording this, it's almost exactly thirty years to the day. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, so it was. It was. A, we're two days off. <laughs> yeah, we're a couple of days off from the exact uh, anniversary. Right, uh, of thirty episode. years. Yeah, that's kind of wild. So, um, the other thing I want to difference is, is the Barkley character wasn't on the Enterprise during their elementary tier, dear data, and so. Mm-hmm. 
they use him to kind of well mm-hmm. he's got this connection to the holodeck that we've established this holodeck addiction in a previous episode and that sort of thing but it allows him to kind of be an audience surrogate for those who yeah. weren't around for the yep. second season so that's he's, the, he's the exposition dump everything needs to be explained to him because he wasn't there for the first appearance of moriarty so is moriarty the first self-aware hologram you know the precursor to the Doctor on Voyager and the Hall of Janeway in Prodigy? I believe so, yeah. 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 It's kind of interesting. I wonder in universe Cause, cause whether they, that would be. They yeah. didn't have the holodeck before TNG, and, and Moriarty was created in season two of TNG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There weren't a lot of holodeck stories, and what they were were, gee whiz, this is so amazing. And <laughs> they, they, they weren't really making self-aware holodeck characters at that point. In fact, Loxana Troy was turned on by how unself-aware they were. Right, right. Yeah, the um yeah. It's interesting cuz you know, I'm just thinking about that in universal whether this the Moriarty inspired the creation of the EMH and that sort of thing. I kind of kind of curious about that. No, they they did have the uh the female uh that Riker was attracted to in the the Minar episode. Mm-hmm. That True. was right. fairly close, fairly yeah, close. She, I mean, she was designed to be yeah. somewhat self-aware that so that he could be trapped in the holodeck. Was that Minuet? Minuet, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and today, you know, the solution to this episode is, oh, you went off the holodeck, let's slap a holotransmitter on, on your arm, a mobile right. emitter on your arm, or yes. put, up, put up emitters throughout the ship, like they right. do in other series. Yes, exactly. You could equip the shuttle with emitters and that sort of thing, yeah. Did... So the question is, is, did Picard break a promise to Moriarty? Did, did he shut him off and just ignore him? No, they, they address that. They, I mean, it, it's understandable from Moriarty's perspective. He thinks that's what, what happened. Mm-hmm. But Picard says, we, we tried to study how you became self-aware and we weren't able to figure it out. And we also consulted with people at Federation HQ about how, you know, we asked our scientists and technicians to find a way to bring you off, and they haven't been able to do it thus far. Okay. I mean, I, my guess is they probably didn't try too hard. I'm guessing that too. <laughs> yeah. It's, he's just a holiday character stored away now in a, in a, in a, a file. Um, the other big question for me was, why? well, it, it's the usual Star Trek techno qu- question is, when the c- technology goes wrong, why don't you pull the plug? <laughs> like, just turn off the holodeck. Just... Like there's got to be a place where this power is going in. There's Turn off no the power. Ma- no master circuit breaker down in engineering for the holodecks. I mean, yeah, uh, apparently not. They, I mean, they do <laughs> kind of address that question because at one point, Worf is taking a security team to, um, or no, I'm getting it confused with a different Barkley episode that I was watching last night. <laughs> um, but they they were trying to go to the holodeck and and deactivate stuff, and mm-hmm. it was surrounded by force fields. And yep. they were having to make their way through the force fields first. They did do that in this one, but of course that was after um, Moriarty had gotten the command codes and got control of the ship. Yep. So there was yeah. that was in this one too. So the the, the other the holodeck problem that they often do is is like, oh, if he steps off the holodeck, he will cease to exist, and it's it's the usual Star Trek computer pro- problem, which is mm-hmm. holodeck programs are just programs; they'll restart. <laughs> Just reboot it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, why are you making it sound like he's going to die if yeah. he steps off? He'll just, he, yeah, his body will derez, and then he can just reboot. <laughs> exactly. Right. So the, exactly. the drama. They oh. want the drama. 
So Picard does point out to Moriarty that crime is unacceptable, and Moriarty says, oh, I'm, I'm no longer a character in a novel. That was a fiction written for me four centuries ago. Now I'm independent. And, but yet he's still kind of a he's He's criminal. not bad. He's just drawn that way. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica and, Rabbit. And yet he's being a con artist as he's saying that because they don't realize that they're on the holodeck created or inside a program that he created. Yeah, so. he's still Moriarty, but at heart, he's still the, the character. And in fact, he says, I thought that was kind of interesting. I was created, I'll, I'll paraphrase, I was created when someone gave a text prompt to an AI to create an opponent that could not think data. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if I could do that with chatbot GPT. <laughs> <laughs> create a character that could not think data from Star Trek Next Generation. Um, so that's, that was kind of Sorry, funny. I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> I'm hoping they open open that up again to the public because I didn't get in on the first wave and now I have to listen to all these people and what they're doing with it and it's like oh. I, I like to experiment with it but uh, oh you know well. it it's occasionally I actually have a login and occasionally though even then it's hard to get in because it's so busy but mm. uh yeah, yeah I hope so good um so the uh yeah so he wants to create a companion um he makes it he challenges Picard's ethics like they go to the 10 forward so we can show him you know, what's out there. And he challenges Picard's ethics. He says, is it morally and ethically acceptable to deny the woman I love so that you can put your conscience at ease? Are you saying that you will simply dictate how I am to live my life? And so there's this interesting back and forth where he wants to, you know, live his life and Picard saying, no, you can't. It is interesting that he, you know, makes this point and it's this kind of standard rights debate that mm-hmm. we get on Star Trek about artificial life forms. Right. But data's still a toaster. Data's <laughs> yeah, still exactly. a toaster. Data's still a toaster. Moriarty's still a bunch of uh, photons in a yeah. force field. and Yeah. 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 Moriarty's yeah. data's still a toaster. Moriarty's still a video game. <laughs> there you go. I, I still go back to this point where, like, when he walks off the holodeck, why Picard and Data didn't immediately go, this This is fake, because there mm-hmm. are no emitters out there. What is mm-hmm. he? He is force fields. So, I mean, the argument he makes is that I, unlike the normal creations of the holodeck, am self-aware. I have a mind, and that changes things. So I'm going to exercise mind over matter and use my mind to right. stabilize my material form as I leave. And mm-hmm. then presumably that happens largely subconsciously from his perspective. But essentially the claim is I'm, I'm, I, I'm able to do things for myself that a normal holodeck object is incapable of doing. Right. And I suppose they've seen so many amazing things yeah. out in space that it was imaginable that some mental right. projection could create a, and- a body. And right. of course, he, and, he uses the argument of Descartes, you know, I think, therefore I am, you know, cogito ergo sum, yeah. and so that I can, I can think myself basically into reality. You know, never mind, you know, in this episode, we see him throw a book through the door and it vanishes, or in Elementary Dear Data, if I remember right, there were a couple of characters who had wa- accidentally walked off the holodeck and, of course, just vanish. Right. Yeah, there's, um, that's uh, the big goodbye Cyrus Redblock walks off and disintegrates. Right. Um, oh, that's but, right. But in you know, it is it, it it while it would be reasonable for them to question the reality of this. You know, I understand. I don't have a problem with them not cottoning on at this point because yeah. 
um, they do see impossible stuff, you know, 12 times before breakfast on this show. Mm -hmm. And if it was always, but that's impossible, it would get really old really fast. So I can can appreciate their openness to, we have no explanation for this, but something has apparently just happened that stretches our conception of what's possible. Yeah. And Picard even calls it a miracle. This is an absolute miracle mm. from our perspective. We don't understand it. We don't know how it happened, but it did. Right. And apparently. This, <laughs> yeah, and and this goes to the subtlety of Moriarty's current plan. So in the original episode, he kept Dr. Catherine Pulaski hostage and eventually they talked him out of it and was like, "Well, look, we'll work to find a way to get you out of here." Please let her go. And he did. And and he even alludes to that here. He, without naming Dr. Pulaski, he says that he had released his hostage and Picard had made this promise. This is essentially that plot squared <laughs> yeah. from Moriarty's perspective. Because now he's holding multiple hostages, including the entire ship. Yep. And you look at his plan... And he's sort of got three major steps. Um, Well, you can count it as four. Step one, get Picard into the holodeck. You know, so that's why he says, I think the, because he can't leave. So this seems like a reasonable request, although they could talk to him over the intercom. Right. Yeah. But it seems like a reasonable request to bring him down here and we'll talk at Baker Street. And so step so that gets the first main hostage into the trap. Then step two, I'm going to apparently walk off the holiday off the holodeck to convince them that this is possible, because he needs them to believe it's possible if they're going to really work at at making it happen. So he he his walking off the holodeck is a what's known in magic as a prover. Um, it's meant to convince them that this is – that uh, actually, in magic, the term is a little bit different. But basically, it's it's functioning to show them this really is possible. Now you just have to figure out how to do it. But now he's got to motivate them to actually do it. And since he's fine, because he can now apparently walk around wherever he wants, he needs someone else that doesn't apply to. So stage three is let's bring in the countess. And yes, you're so right. We it's it's what what I did was very risky and we couldn't count on it happening again and therefore we need you to find a way to make this really happen safely. Mm-hmm. And that motivates them to start trying to figure out how to bring the countess off which he really wants to use for himself because he's never mm-hmm. really escaped. And and then he he creates the imaginary the crisis in the imaginary holodeck enterprise where he starts rerouting command codes so that Picard will be forced to give his own command code mm-hmm. to the computer to undo it and then he can expand his pool of hostages to the entire ship and right. so this is really a very carefully thought out con mm-hmm. you think about it he he fished. Picard, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> to give up his password, basically. <laughs> well, and he creates the Countess because she's a sympathetic character. She's mm-hmm. almost no. designed perfectly to play on Picard's sympathies. She uh, was actually created for him. He said, "Yeah, not the other right. way around." No, but I mean, he brought her out as a like 
Moriarty himself is not as enough of a sympathetic character for Picard to save. Right. So bringing out Dam- the Countess, damsel in distress, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect she, for Picard. But she was she was created initially for him, and then he mm-hmm. gave her self awareness. Yeah, right, right. No, I get that. But uh, but she's but she's plays a perfect role in the con right. as well. Yeah, um, which yeah. Ra- raises the question of how you know just how much is she merely part of the con? A totally cynical reading on Moriarty would say he doesn't care for her at all. Yeah, he just he just he just brought her up as a foil to get Picard to start working on the actual problem. But I suspect that's not true. I suspect he really does care for her. Um, he's probably playing that up a little bit, but I think he really does care for her because she was created to be the woman of his dreams. So you know, I think she is. Yeah, she's also just. Hot and you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I am a big Countess Bartholomew fan, so I will admit that I would travel the galaxy with her too. Yeah. <laughs> she was a she was played by Stephanie Beecham, who's best known for Dynasty, the soap right. opera Dynasty at this time. That's right. Yeah, in fact, I think I saw in the notes that she was like she was chosen because she could look good in Victorian gear, you know, <laughs> Victorian oh, yeah. gab. <laughs> so. Uh, when the way that they figure out the data figures out that they're still in the holodeck is Jordy's left-handed on enge- engineering or something. Like That's he part takes of it, him, yeah, yeah. And then he takes his data, takes his com badge, and kind of tosses it, and it hits the wall of the holodeck. And I'm like, wait a minute. Usually the holodeck compensates, right? It would show it flying off. Like the, that's the whole part of the illusion. No, they they established that all the way back in Encounter at Farpoint. You can hit it. it the holodeck adjusts for the right. characters, but you can you can throw objects at the wall, and it won't be able to compensate fast enough. Okay, okay. So it's, it's not like the golf simulators where you swing and hit the screen, and then you see the ball go through the screen. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, it's one of the. I saw online that there are clues throughout the episode for mm-hmm. an attentive viewer. Apparently, that it's not it's not what's usual going on. Which is one of the things is there is almost always a lot more exterior shots in between scenes and acts, and that mm-hmm. we don't get those in this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and so uh, in this episode, there's an abnormally long break between exterior shots of the Enterprise with none appearing. Between the moment Picard actually- and Barkley enter the holodeck and the moment just before Moriarty contacts the bridge after seizing control of the ship. The, and they, that apparently happens in other episodes where we're trapped in fictional stories, too. So I guess you could be on the lookout for that if you want. Mm. I do like how when Picard asks Data, how did you figure out that we're still in the holodeck? Data says, through deduction, which is mm-hmm. a nice thing because this it's all about Data. I mean, fun, the root of the story yeah. Is data playing Sherlock Holmes, right? And so it's nice to have him use deduction to figure this out to defeat Moriarty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, the the way that Picard defeats Moriarty is to make him think he's the he's the more clever and brilliant one. Oh yes, mm-hmm. Moriarty, you 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 tricked us. It's you know you you you've defeated us through your brilliance, and <laughs> in fact, Picard ends up turning tables on him, creates a simulation mm-hmm. within the simulation. So within Picard's plan, it's it's also very nicely constructed. Um, the, and this is one of the differences between season six and season one writing. They seriously thought this stuff through. Mm-hmm. So step one of Picard's plan is, which we don't see, 
is go create another holodeck within a holodeck that will contain a transporter room and a shuttle room and the route between them and that will that I can transfer him into this other holodeck. Mm-hmm. And step two, go to the Countess and explain the plan to the Countess, not to Moriarty directly, because right. and now he he has a a fake justification for this because the Countess is like, why are you coming to me with this? Why don't you just talk to James? And and he's like, because I think you're a reasonable person who will I can talk to and will compromise, and so I want you to convince him to this to this plan. We found out, and here he has this nonsense explanation of we need to decouple the Heisenberg compensators and allow them to re-scramble randomly, and that will allow stable matter to come out of the transporter. So that's his technobabble explanation. But the um, that's part of the con. You know, this technique doesn't really exist. We really have no clue it'll work, but it it sounds good. And neither she nor Moriarty are experts in transporters, so it'll sound good to them. And then, because he didn't approach Moriarty himself, now, if he had approached Moriarty himself, he he would have said, so let's do it. Right. And that would have not been as convincing to Moriarty as if Moriarty went to Riker right. and got Riker to do it. Right. Because he's, 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 he would suspect a trick from Picard. Mm-hmm. But he thinks he's talking to the real Riker. Also, Picard is in the trans. He Picard can't really approach Moriarty directly and say, "So let's do this," because he believes Picard doesn't know he's still in the holodeck. Right. right. He needs so Moriarty needs someone on the outside to do this, and by not coming to Moriarty and proposing it himself. Moriarty can continue to believe that Picard thinks right. he's on the real Enterprise. So that's why Picard very cleverly goes to the Countess right. and lets the Countess give him the information so Picard doesn't have to propose, so let's do it now. And mm-hmm. then Moriarty can go to who he thinks is the real Riker and get the real Riker to do it. But really, just like Moriarty looped their, their comm system into the holodeck, now Picard has done that right. too. So he's really talking to Hollow Riker. Hollow exactly. Riker then beams the two of them into the second holodeck within a holodeck. And they think they're in the real world transporter room. They think they're getting into a real world shuttlecraft and they leave. Yep. Right. It yeah, it's really good really good writing in this one. I mean that's the the mm-hmm. layering of the, yeah. the plot like that is mm-hmm. pretty good. And of course, what what tricks Moriarty is he did actually at one point talk to the real Riker when mm-hmm. he took control of the ship. He was talking to the real Riker, but then of course Picard subverted that, as you said. Yeah, he rerouted the the communications. Yeah. So and now the Mor- Moriarty and the Countess are living in basically a independent uh, firewalled <laughs> computer air simulation. Yeah, air yeah. gap. That's what I was trying to think of. Uh, computer simulation of the galaxy, you know, or at least the Alpha Quadrant. Um, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting concept that they, they talked about how it's got enough memory that they can continue to travel for years and years without, you know, realizing, um, which raises an interesting question of how does this then now interact with Picard season three? 
Well, they may. So I see basically two options. They may come up with a new instantiation of Moriarty, who's not this same one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's they can certainly do that. It's less organic than if they bring back this instantiation. But if they bring back this instantiation, I'm betting we're going to get you tricked me, and now my girlfriend is dead or derezzed, mm-hmm. and I'm vengeful now, so bah on you. And somehow yeah. Lore is involved in bringing him back, or something like that, too, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean maybe, you know, he ends up in this device that mm-hmm. Barkley is given custody of, and, you know, two years after this, the Enterprise crashes on that planet, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they, someone's scavenges the device that's right. true scavenges that's, true. <laughs> that's that's yeah lore again could possibly mm-hmm. behind it lore's like the master in doctor who he just keeps showing up no matter how many times <laughs> we think he's dead um all right and then and then we talked about how at the very end that we have picard's meta thing and 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 barclay's last end program uh to to make sure he's not still on a hole. frankly i'd be doing that all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd be walking around the enterprise going and program okay yeah (laughs) so um any other thoughts on this episode father Corey? nothing here uh jimmy so we we didn't really talk about it but the initial scene in this is is also nicely done um it's uh data and geordi are playing sherlock holmes and dr watson they're in the baker street sitting room and the way they begin to realize something is wrong with the holodeck is Data is doing this elaborate deduction about the uh, murderer he's looking for. Is There's some d- guy who's died, and he's got his brother in the sitting room. And he's he's building up to the fact the brother is the murderer. And the way he knows this is that the the killer was left-handed. And he tosses an object to the brother who catches it with his right hand. And Data just keeps rambling about Mm -hmm. his deduction. And he's building up to, so you're the murderer. And Jordy at one point just says, Data, it's in his right hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 And this was nice because it's just this visual thing. You know, they don't immediately point out he's caught it with his right hand they let data unspool without noticing that it's in his right hand and then jordy just points it out and yeah. and at that point the murder brother is like scotland yard's finest and is walking <laughs> off <laughs> and, and they uh they they then call in barkley and tell him something's wrong with the holodeck and they later play with the right-handed left-handed thing in the mm-hmm. episode in a kind of an inconsistent way, um, but they have it as a sort of light motif through the rest mm. of the episode because it's going to come back when Jordy yeah. is acting left-handed when really he's right-handed. So that right. is a continuing issue that Barkley didn't fix because they got diverted by Moriarty. Also, in that initial scene, Brent Spiner, you know, he's playing Sherlock Holmes, so he's smoking a pipe, and he's doing this thing that he does where he's using the pipe to click in his teeth, like, yeah. and yeah. and he he does this regularly. He has this kind of dramatic gesture of just, yeah, yeah, and it's like, 
okay, that's not how most pipe smokers actually do it. Um, I, I mean, I did meet a guy once who, who seemed to have this nervous habit of just clicking with his teeth. <laughs> but that's not how most pipe smokers do it. So it's just a little weird. Well, I think I thought it was going to, that'd be just data doing the motion, but not really understanding it, I think is yeah. kind of what they were showing yeah. there, you know? I presume the left-handed, right-handed mix-up was Moriarty in the program uh, already influencing it? I mean, it no. could be, but they don't play it that way. They, yeah. they, they tell us that Moriarty has been conscious um, intermittently during the last four years that something was going on, and they didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. Right. They didn't think he was going to be tortured in this disembodied, aware but unable to do anything state. I, I also wondered, could this have been Moriarty? But they don't really give us any clues that it was. In fact, when Barkley first activates him, it's as part of a diagnostic. And I mean, he says, search for any anomalous strings of code. Well, okay, Moriarty is going to turn up in that search. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to activate the protected memory to turn Moriarty on. And he does a test with Moriarty. He's, as he's talking to him, he tosses an object to him. Moriarty catches it. And uh, and he uses it as a handedness test, and then when Moriarty mm. realizes this was just a test, he throws it away, and no no more is said about it. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. they they explain it was like some relay or tran- transceiver or something, you know, something went faulty in the holodeck, and that's why yeah. it was doing it, and that's what okay. Barkley was there to fix. And so this was just opportunism on the part of Mo- Moriarty, as opposed to mm-hmm. a plan, yeah. you know, getting fulfilled. Okay, I could see I could see it go either way, but yeah, I, I could see that. All right, so that should do it for this time, I guess. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Raymond K., Christian A., Jeremy N., Ben B., and Brad W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode for us. So, what did you think of Ship in a Bottle, this TNG six-season episode? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can now watch The Secrets of Star Trek in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuest Media, where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the season premiere of Picard Season 3. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Well, thank you, Don. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Well, thank you. Live long and prosper. And now I'm going to uncouple the Heisenberg compensators and allow them to re-scramble randomly. Oh, very good. <laughs> I, I always enjoy a good re-scrambling at the end of an episode. And once again, <laughs> I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest and in program. <laughs>